Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to this episode of Trundle Bed Tales. Now, today's episode is going to be a travel time, and that means that I will have successfully completed this month all the episodes I normally do. Yay! So that's one month down, and hopefully, we'll keep going this year. Uh, now, I want to welcome you to Trundle Bed Tales, the podcast about Laura Ingalls Wilder, historic foodways, one-room schools, and other social history. This is Sarah Utoff, the host and creator of Trundle Bed Tales. Find us around the web under Trundle Bed Tales and on your favorite social media platform. If you listen or just have an account on iTunes, please leave feedback uh, because that helps us find the show. And today's episode of Travel Times is going to be about Oak Island. Now, there is an island in the North Atlantic where people have been hunting for treasure for over 200 years, or so goes the introduction to the Curse of Oak Island, which is a television show on the History Channel. Now, I have... Oak Island is one of those things that I have a connection with that uh, I've always been interested in and that I've looked into stuff for, but I'm not a super big fan. I have not been to Oak Island. I have not been to uh, any of the Oak Island history conferences, which I did not even know about until recently. So I can't say that I am a huge fan, but I have been interested in Oak Island since I was a little kid. It was about 1983 or 1984 that my aunt and uncle sent me a copy of a Disney yearbook, which the company was putting out at the time, which was sort of like uh, an encyclopedia yearbook where there'd be news stories and what was going on. And then usually it'd be a couple stories of just kind of interesting things. And then there would be a... um, a couple of Disney stories that were kind of continuing continuing on from one of the movies. So it was kind of a nifty thing. And it had a three-page article on Oak Island, including a drawing showing you how that the treasure, uh, treasure a money pit worked. And I thought that was right. Walt Disney is telling me so. Uh, it really wasn't. It was uh, a estimate that they had at the time, and we really don't have proof now um, one way or the other, whether it's right or not. But uh, it got me looking in for things Oak Island, and uh, I, I wanted to uh, share with you because it seems like there's a lot of people who don't know this story, and it is a fascinating story. Now, first of all, Oak Island is a small island. It's about 140 acres. It was divided into 32 four-acre plots, which makes zero sense to me. I, uh, if they were trying to develop a settlement there, the land really isn't 
good for that. And, you know, four acres with no additional farmland, that's just not reasonable to expect anybody to make a living on. But that's how they divided it up, two four-acre plots. The island is near uh, Prince Edward Island. It's near Halifax. Halifax is the big town there. It's near Louisburg, which is where uh, there was a big French fort, which was around where the uh, Arcadians who became Cajuns came from. And uh, it's and and Louisburg is now a big living history site. But it's in that kind of area that sort of uh, north, or well, I suppose of Canada, it would be the southeast corner of Canada. Uh, and a lot of people start out finding Oak Island in similar ways. And one way that a lot of people found out about it was an article in Reader's Digest in January 1965. Now, Reader's Digest um, is... Still, still around, but one of the things they do for their magazine is they have someone go through and pick out the best and most interesting articles in other magazines, and then they republish them. And they did that with the Rotarian article, and this uh, copy of Reader's Digest affected three people very strongly. And one of them was Dan Blankenship, and doesn't that just sound like a noun? I, I don't know why, but every time I hear it, it's just like, it's a Dan Blankenship, but it's, it's actually the guy's name. And uh, then there was also uh, a uh, contractor down in Florida named Fred Nolan. And then there was the two Lagina brothers in Michigan. Now, the Mangina brothers were just kids at the time, although they will return to the story uh, later. Um, But that got a lot of people interested. Another thing that got a lot of people interested was an article in Rolling Stones, the January 22, 2004 edition. And in fact, if you go to the museum today, uh, there is uh, a big blow-up of that article. Uh, and a lot of people who were in this kind of 2000s, early 2000s wave of finding out uh, about what was going on learned from that article. But me, it was the Disney yearbook. So what is the story? What is going on? Well, what we know for sure, at least according to the accounts we have, is one day – Three young men, Daniel McGinnis, John Smith, and Anthony Vaughn, uh, were rolling over to Oak Island, which, uh, as I said, it's about 200 acres. I think it looks like a platypus. A lot of other people say it looks like a little duck, but it was that kind of shape. And there's differences. Were they over there already uh, on the uh, because they were buying property there. Were they visiting people? The stories they usually tell it today is they lived on the mainland and saw strange lights, which is what draw, drew them over to uh, Oak Island. But I don't know. People were already living there. I really think um, 
they might have just kind of shown up and it wasn't really any big, you know, we have to get to the island. So they were there and they found an oak tree with uh, one arm kind of going over the suppression in the land and a uh, pulley system hung from the branch. And this has always sounded really suspicious to me because, frankly, the thing about treasure hunts with treasure maps is people don't create a treasure map unless what they want is to have people, other people find it. And you don't have people on a regular basis leaving clues to how you find a treasure because they want the treasure themselves. They're not going to tell you how to get there. But um, they had this oak tree with this pulley. There were other oak trees around it and several stumps where this area had been cleared. So they, these three boys decide that, that this depression and that pulley means that there's something in the ground there. So they start digging. And they get about 10 feet down. And they hit an oak plank floor. And they thought, oh, something's going to be here. And so they pull up the plank floor. It's nothing there but dirt. They kept digging. And eventually, there was some time in between when they initially tried it and when they, they came back and tried again. But eventually, they got down to 90 feet. And it was bone dry it was just, uh, it had been dug earth, but it was, wasn't was super, um, you know, churned up or anything. And every 10 feet, there would be one of these, um, these floors. And they got down to the, the 90th floor. And the story is that there was a rock there with, code writing on it and that stone was used for many years trying to get people to invest in searches Uh, and they don't know where it is now the last place they know for sure was in this bookbinders um, shop in Halifax and it is not there now the neither the or the stone and they haven't been able to find it there's all these stories that it was here or was there and nobody took a photograph of it or a rubbing that they have been able to find but somebody copied down what it said these little symbols and they translated it to something like uh, like 40 feet below two million pounds are buried, which has always sounded to me like a crazy thing to write because if you wanted people to continue to dig and find it, why would you put the trap in? And if you didn't want people to find it, which is why you had the trap, why would you tell people, um, put something there to encourage people to keep Digging. I mean, it would be one thing even if they put it at the top, but put it 90 feet down. 
has made no sense to me whatsoever. But that's what happened. And people pretty much assume that what the symbols are, what was really in stone. Uh, But as I say, I'm not really convinced. I think if they, they probably found the stone, but if they did, it meant something else. And there's more to it just than um, what did it say, figuring out what the letters were in English, because they don't know if it was English. It could have been French. It could have been Spanish. Nobody knows. Uh, so it was, it, it was just kind of this odd thing. And the last thing to say about that, because it won't really come up again in the rest of the story, but I like to mention that one of my favorite TV shows in the 70s was In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy, who does the best spooky voice for it. And uh, one of the things they did an episode on was Oak Island. And the stone they made for that for the, to be the replica is now in the Oak Island Museum. And I just think that is so cool. I would like to go to the museum just to see that. But anyway, that's, that's the story of the 90-foot stone. Um, now, they had, when you got down to past that 90-feet level, they start digging. And the next day, they come in, and the entire tunnel has flooded. And what they are fairly confident is that there are tunnels coming from the shore of Oak Island down to the money pit. And uh, they are fairly sure that the uh, water in the money pit area is linked to the ocean because they have done a number of dye tests where they put dye down the, uh, one of the holes and, uh, that's been flooded and it's come out on the shores of the uh, island so often the bays off the shore. So it's probably the um, the tunnels that they're talking about. But it was even more of a complication than that because there were flood tunnels coming from multiple locations. And one of the searcher uh, groups in the 19th century found that there was one beach that was clearly a created beach. It didn't have stones like the other places. And they dug into it, and they found five finger drains, uh, which uh, went out into uh, the area where the tides came in, uh, and they were French drains that they use rock. So don't think of it as like a pipe or anything. Um, it, it was more rock kind of set a certain way to let there be a flow of water. And they fed into... Um, another uh, larger tunnel, which was filled with sand, that took the water into the money pit. Now, uh, that trap with the flood tunnels uh, was what has kept anybody from actually finding what was buried on Oak Island because uh, those tunnels didn't just go into the money tunnel. People started they said, oh, well, the money tunnel's flooded, so we'll dig next to the money tunnel. And they would get down, 
And however they tried, it would eventually hit flooding and the place would be completely flooded and so somebody else would come later and try and dig again. And so there were like 16 holes on uh, that had been dug and fill it, filled in. And that whole bottom area now, which when these original depositors put this stuff here, uh, would have been, you know, a fairly clear, neat thing. Now has all been churned up with all these different uh, tunnels going, digging down. And so it is, uh, whatever they put there was a mess now. But, you say, what did they put there? Well, that Disney book that I talked about um, being or reading when I was a kid uh, seemed pretty confident that it was a pirate bank. And what that theory was is that the uh, main tunnel was for depositing the loot for various uh, various pirates. And then the uh, they after everything had been put in there, the pirate, and there would be, uh, they knew it was a certain location distant from that main opening tunnel. And that is where they would dig up uh, their money, but there would be no uh, turned over soil above it, so no one else would be able to tell where it was. And that makes a very effective and convincing little drawing, but um, it probably isn't true um, just because of uh, just because of um, the amount of engineering it would take. Now there was at least one um, uh, there was at least um, one thing found for sure from the, the pirates that was coconut fiber that was used as part of the water system to get money into the um, pirate or into the uh, money pit and they did find one other instance where some apparently engineering pirate pirates supposedly had dug this kind of system in the uh, Caribbean but it would be an awfully big job for something like that. And would different pirates actually work together? And it's really a problem for a lot of the theories is that for them to be, for them to actually work like the people are suggesting they would, a large number of people would have to know about them the people who were depositing them, the people who were supposed to be picking up. And there's no record of this kind of uh, dig in any British records that they've found, in any Spanish records, in any French records. There's just no record of anybody having done anything on Oak Island. But they do have, um, do have different theories uh, of the treasure hunters have discounted that it could be the First Nations people in the area because they this it was really a big engineering job and they hadn't found 
the remnants of anything like this um, around in other places where that tribe lived. They also uh, don't have any stories that they have shared coming down uh, from uh, generations past about this island, about it being a holy place or a sacred place or a place of meeting or anything like that. So most of the treasure seekers are pretty sure it wasn't Native American. So who else could it be? Well, I already talked about pirates. Then another one is that it might be somebody who came over with um, France. Now, there's two different theories about that. One is that they brought the uh, treasures of the, the crown of France when the French Revolution was going on and brought them over and put them on Oak Island. Well, there's a couple big problems with that. First, the jewels were stolen, but they were all recovered except for one big diamond that people are fairly sure that the Hope Diamond came out of that uh, royal diamond that was never recovered. Pretty sure it's not the same as 100%, but there really, even if there was still that one diamond, it would not be worth all the effort that they have put in there. Another French group are those people at Louisbourg that I mentioned and how the Arcadians, who were settlers there, um, went back and forth and back and forth with French and British and French and British controlling that area. And eventually the British decided uh, to get rid of them and ship them down to uh, the New Orleans area, which Arcadians became Cajuns. And they would have perhaps wanted a place to hide their stuff before they left, but they wouldn't have had a whole lot of time, and they would have had the ability to come back for it and there aren't any stories of people coming back later or people's children coming back later to get stuff. And so they probably wouldn't have had the time and effort that it would have taken to build this money pit for it. Now, were there deposits they left other places? Sure. Um, but this is such a big project. It probably wasn't them. Uh, then there's also a French Huguenot. <clears throat> who came over uh, when the, they were having trouble with the churches, and they did have a lot of money, so they might have been looking for a place to deposit it. But again, this would be an awfully huge project just for a place to hang, hide money. They also think perhaps it has something to do with the American Revolution. Maybe Money was buried there uh, when George Washington was looking at trying to expand the revolution and coming into uh, the eastern province of Canada. <clears throat> and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I need a cough button, I guess. Um, so it could be the, those uh Oh, no, for the American Revolution, what they thought is either that it was the British uh, depositing treasure there uh, so the Americans couldn't get it if they attacked, 
and other people think that it was money that the Americans could have put there someplace safe that they could get to if they needed it. And the British side is kind of discounted because even if somebody just did this on their own, not officially, there's no records of large amounts of money going missing or of people who suddenly have lost all their money uh, in the British settlers there. So uh, there should be a record if the British did it. And if the Americans had had access to a lot of money, they would not have been setting it aside. They needed money. They needed to buy things. So the idea that they would let some treasure sit there is sadly why the National Treasure movie never makes any real sense because you don't just let it sit there. You're in that desperate need of money. So I don't really think it could be American Revolution. Another theory is Shakespeare. Now, there are people who think William Shakespeare did not actually write the plays that he is given credit for. There are a lot of arguments to be made why he did do it. There are some points that can be made that he didn't. And frankly, I don't see why it really makes that much of a difference, especially now. I mean, it used to be that Shakespeare was the backbone of a lot of of culture, but he isn't anymore. But anyway, their big theory is that Sir Francis Bacon actually wrote the Shakespeare plays and that he had the original copies of the Shakespeare plays, which are gone. There are original copies from a lot of other playwrights at the time, but they haven't found any of the Shakespeare ones. And they think that they took those original copies in Francis Bacon's handwriting, stuck them in mercury, put the mercury in containers, uh, and then buried those in Oak Island, where in the future someone would find them and know how brilliant Sir Francis Bacon was. I frankly don't think he would consider it that big a secret that it would be worth hiding it on the other side of the world. Uh, The best thing they have on its side is that uh, he does actually write uh, a description in one of his um, in one of his books about how you would create an, an a spring that wasn't there naturally, which sounds an awful lot about like what they have found on Oak Island. But that's one theory. Uh, another theory is that there are either Inca or Maya people uh, who had buried treasure or perhaps the records of uh, the historic records of their people and had them going on Oak Island when the Spanish came to take them over. Now, they don't have any records or signs or stories that they had ships that were big enough to get them all the way around to uh, to where uh, Oak Island is. But that's a theory that it was some kind of, Uh, 
some kind of depository for their money. And that one isn't as popular, but there are people that uh, promote it. And right now, the theory that has uh, the most acceptance by the people who are looking for it is the Templar story. And according to them, that when the Templars were killed, captured on Friday the 13th, Black Friday, uh, and uh, and arrested and eventually killed and the organization was effectively destroyed, that that didn't really happen. And that it, instead they were pushed underground and that their ships and their treasures that they had disappeared. And they think that maybe they had come around and put them on, uh, the this, this story goes, that they moved them over to uh, Scotland and then they moved over to Oak Island. And there are certainly a lot of uh, dropped references uh, that could be the Templars. But it basically expects you to believe that the Templars, well, it has you believe that the Masons are a super secret um, clandestine organization. And I don't know. I guess these people didn't ever live in an area where there were Masonic Mason clubs or, or Masonic clubs because I can tell you that Masons are basically kind of a complicated service club because there is a religious element. There is definitely an anti-Catholic element. There is a lot of um, different levels of things you have to go through for initiation. There is lots of ceremonies that you have to go through. And when it comes right down to it, though, it's mostly a religious, a religion-based old boys club. And lots and lots and lots of people were Masons. My grandfather was a Mason. My great-grandfather on the other side was a Mason. One of my cousins right now is Mason. My grandmother was Eastern Star. Laura Ingalls Wilder was Eastern Star. I mean, this, these are not super secret, you know, trying to take over the world groups. These are civic organizations that are doing things to help the community and doing things to try and help themselves. And they're not people who really are hiding some great secret. Now, could there be some secret that a small group of people at the top know? Sure, but that really isn't. The fact that there are all these people who were involved in the treasure hunt that were Masons just had to do with the fact that there were a lot of people who were Masons. It was a civic club. There was lots of them. And that's my biggest problem with the theory that it's Templars. Because the Masonic Order was founded on sort of similar lines, but they weren't. It isn't the same thing. 
it's a really modern organization. So that's where I have trouble with the, the Templar theory. And then there's always the fact that it could be something else, something that we haven't thought of or we don't know what's going on. So I want to take you through a little bit. Now, this is just sort of a um, list of the people who've been involved. And this is certainly not the only people that have been involved. But there uh, was the first uh, first uh, three men that I mentioned before that were uh, Daniel McGinnis, John Smith, and Anthony Vaughn. Now, uh, also, the sort of the searchers, the second group of searchers after them were uh, included Samuel Ball, who was a freed slave. There was Frederick Blair, and there was William Chapel. And William Chapel and his son M. R. Chapel really were uh, strong, strongly involved in the search for most of the 19th and a good share of the 20th century. When we get into the 20th century, uh, M.R. Chapel, which was William Chapel's son, is uh, it was a strong proponent of it. Also, a man named David Tobias, and they were trying to find somebody else that they could, would get to invest in the company all the way. From the beginning, there would be these companies that would form and then be um, disbanded when they didn't find anything and when they ran out of money. So they were always looking for new people. And uh, probably the saddest case of this is the Restalls. Now, the Restalls were uh, the married couple had been trick riders in a ball of death with motorcycles. And uh, the husband, Robert, got obsessed with the idea that he could find the gold on Oak Island. So he got them to give him license to search. And they were living on the island, him and his wife and his two sons. uh, And they were just sort of camping out there, even during the winter. They were there. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have phone lines. It was really a very hard life. And um, they were, and they were doing all of their work with shovels. It's really amazing that they were able to do as much as they did. But they found some really interesting things while they were on the island. But sadly, in the 1960s, one day, uh, they had a pump running down in one of the um, shafts they dug. And he went over to check on the uh, motor that was running the pump. And he got over to the edge, and he must have made some noise because his son heard it and came running from some place, or from another uh, shaft where they had he had been working. And His father had fallen down into the shaft. There was water at the bottom, and uh, he was unconscious. Now, there must have been some kind of gas in that particular tunnel then, 
they think maybe it was um, gas built up from having the motor going down there. But they don't really know. But it was bad because the son, Bobby, um, uh, leaned over and was trying to get his dad out and started down the ladder, and he fell off, overcome by the fumes. There were two other men that were working with them, Cyril Hiltz and Carl Gracer, and they went down too to try and rescue them. And there was... uh, just happened to be a firefighter that was there on vacation and he had him uh, tie a rope around him and get him down and he got one of uh, the people who'd fallen down the hole out but he had also collapsed so they didn't know so that really wiped out most of the Restall family And the people who uh, they had been working with at Tobias were pushing them to sign over the rights for the treasure hunt for that year to his new person he had lined up. And they took all their papers and all the work they'd put on to finding out things. And it really was, was a terrible, terrible person who came in uh, was Robert Denfield and Robert Dunfield had the theory looking at it and said, hey, this is a problem in open pit mining. I will just dig up this whole area with these pits going down and it will uh, be fine and I'll be able to find it and okie dokie. Well, he had two problems. The first thing is what he did destroyed all the landmarks. There were things they had found. There was an arrow of rocks. There were rocks with holes carved through them, clearly set up to be sight lines. And he dug all of it away, destroyed the whole thing. Uh, And the part that I didn't realize for a while is he only went down 12 feet. He destroyed all that stuff and only made it 12 feet when they knew if something was buried under the money pit, it would at least be 100 feet down. Uh, So he's kind of considered something of a villain just because of how much stuff he destroyed. Although, as his son says, if he had found the treasure, nobody would have cared what he did to uh, the uplands and, and all the markers And he really thought, honest to God, he could do an open pit and find the treasure. Well, after Dunfield gave up, uh, there was a Dan Blankenship. See, it just sounds like a noun, Dan Blankenship. He came in and as partners with David Tobias and Fred Nolan, who I think was a very hard person and a very determined person and he kind of um, was able to get in and through a very slick means buy part of the island Uh, David Tobias thought he and Dan Blankenship basically owned all of it and Fred Nolan figured out that it hadn't properly been had the um, uh, title to the land shifted 
properly. It didn't list all of the the little um, 32 four-acre plots. It only last uh, only listed some of them. So he went back to the people who owned it before and bought the rest of the lot, and that's how he got on the island. Uh, they Fred Nolan was a surveyor and made some really really super complicated maps and recorded a lot of information. Uh, Dan Blankenship um, did a lot of digging. And unfortunately, they both spent much more of the 20th century than was wise fighting each other. Uh, There was a terrible rivalry between them, and there was fuss about museums and the the road from the, that they did from the, across from the island to the mainland, and it was just a terrible fight. So David Tobias finally ran out of money, and he ran out of patience because the fighting had also caused a split between him and Dan Blankenship, and so he decided he was going to sell out his property, and he did it to uh, uh, Dave Tester and to Marty and uh, Rick Lavina, who were from Michigan, and they had also seen that Reader's Digest article. And they slowly worked there in, too. Now, Marty uh, had made money. He ran an energy company and he had a lot of it. And so he was able to buy Tobias's share and they started doing this dig for uh, or trying to get the other people all working together and dig and see if they could find this treasure. Now uh, there were problems and part of it is by kind of a and a law in Canada that I do not understand. Um, but they seem to, it seems to be against the law to do much treasure hunting in Canada, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but they do have an exception. So you can a treasure hunt on Oak Island. Um, but the treasure license doesn't have to be given to the person who owns the land. So there's been a lot of times where the people who owns the land and the people who own the treasure license were struggling and arguing and fighting back and forth, which has wasted a lot of time and money. Uh, there's also a lack of money because it takes a lot of money to dig. Uh, the Laguinas, who we see on the television show, have spent millions of dollars. And honestly, in terms of being able to see that there was a difference, it's they could have spent nothing. You couldn't really uh, tell. And then the other problem was the uh, lack of technology because, honestly, they were using things that – were were just kind of shovels and buckets, and then as they started to use 
new technology. They couldn't necessarily afford to bring the newest and the best out. And so it really them down. And besides that, Oak Island has a really odd reputation for things not working. Uh, people from all sorts of things bring technology to try on the island, uh, technology that's worked all around the world, and it doesn't work there. That's one of the things you note on the television show, uh, if you've ever watched it, is Oak Island, it's taken out another piece of equipment. Now, uh, the person who, Randall Sullivan, who wrote The Curse of Oak Island, which is the book that kind of uh, follows the television show, has said that the real curse of Oak Island is the fact that it absorbs people's time and attention. It becomes their obsession and that it has swallowed up people's time and money and even their lives. Uh, what other people mean by the curse, though, is says that seven must die before the treasure will be found. Now, this is something that showed up about the time that the four people with the rest dolls uh, died, and suddenly it was, ooh, the story that has been around. But it makes no sense. I mean, if it was something that somebody set up that wasn't some spectral thing, how would they know that seven people had to die? And frankly, if you look at, at spread it out a little bit, to look at people involved, not just right immediately with the money pit, but involved in the hunt that at least 11 people have actually died. So uh, that really doesn't make sense, but that is one thing that people have. They have seen uh, fires on um, the island that have suddenly disappeared. They think there might be evil spirits. Um, they think that maybe they killed someone, uh, a slave, to guard the treasure if they were burying treasure, which makes no sense to me because if I was a ghost and I got killed by somebody, I'd be going, hey, over here, here's treasure, come and get it. But that's the idea. Uh, and once they even reported that their uh, little girl reported that there were uh, red coat soldiers down on the island when there was snow on the ground and there were no footprints, but she still insists they were there. So uh, that gets us about to where the present is and, what, and what's going on on the island. Well, Ken Burns, this is the Ken Burns of the Civil War and all those documentaries on PBS. So he apparently makes his money is that he's the producer of shows that are on the History Channel. Ancient Aliens, that's him. He came up with the idea that he wanted to do a TV show on Oak Island after they'd done an episode of Ancient Aliens on it. So he talked them into 
letting him film six episodes. That was the first season. And they were deciding, well, maybe we won't come back. And then they found a coin. And it was a really old coin. And that kind of was the deciding factor for them to stay. Now, they actually kind of wondered if uh, Kevin Burns had, uh, well, if they were kind of wondering if it really was there or if it had been a setup, but they think it really was there. And they have found lots of coins since then. They have found human bones, one that was identified as European and one that was Middle Eastern, a galleon spike, um, uh, let's see, a French military cap badge, um, a Roman pilium, which is um, sort of they had uh, spikes that they would throw with kind of like metal points like an arrow on the end. And that uh, they found the end of one of those. They found a gold-plated brooch. They found a cross that kind of looks like a person um, stretching out their arms with their head slightly down. And uh, they found one that they say looks just like it over in the Templar carvings. I don't think it looks just like it looking at the two pictures, but there's definitely a resemblance. They found coconut fibers. They have found... um, old coins, they have found little bits of parchment, they have found traces of gold, uh, pieces of really old wood, coins, some dated from the 16th century, the 90-foot stone, and book binding. Then they have found a wooden structure, a slipway, and a paved area. Now, the first couple years on the show... All they would do is they'd find coins sometimes. And really, it it worked out well because uh, when the show started, they brought in, in 2014, they brought in Gary Drayton, who was a uh, metal detector. And I have to tell you, as someone who's used a metal detector on TV, they walk along, blah, 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 and it looks like it's super easy. It isn't super easy. It takes real skill to find things with a uh, metal detector. And he is very good at finding things. But all this stuff they've had, they keep trying to date it. They date the wood uh, with the carbon testing. They do, they uh, cut um, edges off, or you know, slices off wood to count the rings and try and figure out when it is. And they have used the um, percentages of other things in the metal to be able to tell you what particular um, uh, quarry in in Europe that the little guy who looked like a cross came from. And they have found a tar kiln this year and they've found another path by the paved area. And some of this stuff, the dates are going way back in time, as in the 1300s. 
And everybody remembers, of course, uh, 1492 Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And that is really the first time that the uh, that the European culture uh, was aware of a visit to the New World. There were probably some others. But if this was actually having some major project going on on Oak Island in the 1300s, well before uh, people went there and um, really identified that it was a place, could really change all of the story of the backstory of the country, of the continent. This is something that could be huge if these dates are right, if they are going back as far as they think. But they're also finding a lot of dates from the 1600s, which is from before when they discovered the money pit, but is well after this early stuff that they found. So was there two things going on? Were they completely separate or were they connected? What was going on in Oak Island and was that really a treasure pit in the first place? Is there anything down there to find? And they just keep finding things now. Like I said, at first it was things like coins, and then they'd tell a theory a week. But now they they are finding stuff. They're finding logs and tunnels. and They're finding so many things they can't even really go back and check on them every week because they're just so overwhelmed with stuff. They have all kinds of things that they're finding. Clearly, there was something that happened at Oak Island. Clearly, there was something that took an awful lot of work and manpower. This wasn't something that was just quickly done, dig, dig, dig. This was something where there were many, many people over a long period of time. So what were they doing? Is As time goes on and you see how much more work was involved, what would be worth hiding that's all this work? If, what treasure could you say there would really be? Was it something that didn't have anything to do with depositing something at all? We don't know. But because of we don't know and we want to find out every week we're watching The Curse of Oak Island, which is, as history puts it, the highest rated nonfiction show on cable. And I really, one of the things about the the pandemic that I actually had a stray thought about when I found out about it is, well, they wouldn't be able to dig on Oak Island this summer. <laughs> It really does get you uh, obsessed. So I'm going to recommend that you check out The Curse of Oak Island from the History Channel, that you look for uh, The Curse of Oak Island by Randall Sullivan, which has more straight history in terms of looking at the stuff Frederick Blair gathered up and looking at the inside of the television show. 
and The Secret of Treasure of Oak Island by Darby O'Connor, which is more of a person who um, was part of this fan community for a long time and had talked personally with lots of these people in the 20th century uh, part of the story. I recommend all those three things, and I hope you enjoyed your visit to Oak Island, and hopefully sometime we will figure out exactly what that is. And with that, thank you for uh, visiting, and I hope that I will see you next time on Travel Tales and and I'm trying to get the little thing to go so I can hit the theme music. There we go. So remember to brighten the corner where you are and see me next time on Travel Times. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.